the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Jeremiah. God is doing some amazing things through His church around the world. And I'm excited that we get to be a small part of it. I thank God for you. And I pray that we together will remain true to the Lord and to His Word. And that we will share Jesus, reflect Jesus, and represent Jesus as part of the remnant of God's church. If you walk with Christ, do you delight in sharing His gospel? Do you put all of your focus on being a witness to the world? In today's message, Pastor Gary wants you to know that you need to put all of your energy into furthering His gospel throughout the world. When you only focus on your own faith journey and not the church at large, you're missing out on all of the wonderful experiences that God has in store for you. Don't limit your faith and work with fellow believers to be a light to the world. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Jeremiah chapter 40 as he continues his message, The Remnant. We are that remnant in the world today. The church is that remnant in the world today. We are to be a reminder of the faithfulness of God and the representation of the presence of God by reflecting His righteousness in the world. That's the duty and calling and privilege and responsibility of God's church. We are that remnant And so it's important for us to understand the modern application of this, the idea of a small group of people in a place that was barren, in a place that had really little regard for God. Why did God want them to remain? So I've got four points I'd like to share for us to understand about the role of the remnant. And for those of you taking notes, here's the first point. The remnant is the minority. The remnant is, by definition, the remnant is a small group of people. So it represents a minority of people. And notice again in chapter 42, verse 2, what we read earlier, when the people approach Jeremiah and ask him to pray for them, they describe themselves there in verse 2 as the remnant. And that's when they say in verse 2, though we were once many, now only a few are left. So by definition, the remnant is always a minority. Now, let's bring this home to modern application. How many people, what's the general population in the world today? What's the general number? World population. It's really actually seven now, 7.7 billion. 7.7 billion people. Some say 7.5, 7.7 billion people on the planet today. 
Now, of that 7.7 billion, how many identify as Christian? Now, that may not mean the same to some people as to others, but basically people who check a box and say Christian religion. How many of the 7.7 billion people identify as Christian in the world today? 2.2 billion. 2.2 billion. Now, of those who identify as of the Christian religion, we, our particular church, would be a part of the stream known as evangelical Christianity. Evangelical Christianity, who believes the Bible is true, the inspired and fallible Word of God, and that Jesus is the only way to salvation. Evangelical Christianity, of the world's population, 7.7 billion people, according to one source, Operation World, the number who identify as evangelical Christians among the 2.2 billion who say they're Christian in name, 550 million. Now, I think that's a generous number, but let's just go with it for purposes of discussion. 550 million evangelical Christians among 7.7 billion people on the planet. We represent roughly 7% of the world's population. That's it. We are the minority. Okay, that means that 93% of the rest of the world's population do not share your values, your beliefs, or know what you know. And I don't mean that in a proud way, like, know what you know. I just mean in the sense of, like, if you know Christ as your Savior, others who don't share that don't know that. We have our work cut out for us. We got 93% of the world's population who are not a part of evangelical Christianity. So they need Christ, and we have our work cut out for us. And as the remnant of the church, the remnant as the church... We have a responsibility to make sure that though we are few in number, we're a minority, relatively speaking, of the world's population, we have to make Christ known in our world. Now, if you use statistics of Americans alone, so let's not use world population, let's just use American population. According to the Pew Research Center, the number of evangelical Christians in the United States represents about 25% of the American population. Now, I think that number is a little generous too, but let's just go with it for a moment. That still means that 75% of the American population does not believe what you believe, does not share your values, does not know about Christ, at least not in terms of a relationship. They might have a head knowledge, but they don't know him. So again, we have our work cut out for us. But let me tell you what this also means. It means in any given situation, whether at work whether in some social setting here in the United States, when you step into a room, 75% of that room does not share your values. Now, unless you're only hanging out with church people, okay, which I hope you're not only hanging out with church people because the rest of the world needs what we have, right? But basically, statistically speaking in America, you step into a room, 75% of the people in that room are not going to share your values. The remnant is the minority. And again, We have our work cut out for us because they need Christ. They need to know what we know. We can't hold on to it. We have to be sharing it. We have to liberate people, understand what Jesus said is true. If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And the truth is Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so we need to share Jesus so that people can know the freedom of having sins forgiven and lives radically changed and the hope of heaven in our hearts with a full assurance of knowing where we go when we die because we are to hold out the light of Christ and make him known in our world. We are that remnant to represent God's righteousness in the world, but we're a minority. 
The good news is, though, God doesn't need many. In fact, strictly speaking, God doesn't need any. Because God can do what He wants to do. All by Himself. Perfectly fine. But God chooses to use the few, not the many, to accomplish His purposes in the earth. And the reason He chooses the few and not the many is so that no one would mistake the result for human ingenuity. God, when you look at Scripture, is always careful to just use one or two or a few to accomplish His purposes so that He would be most glorified so that people won't think that they accomplished it. I mean, you look biblically at different stories, like God used one young shepherd boy to fell a giant and to defeat the whole Philistine army. Just one, because one with God is more than many without Him. And God would use just a select few over different times of biblical history. Remember the army of Gideon in the book of Judges, numbered 32,000 at first. But the Midianites who were coming against the Israelites numbered as many as the sand on the seashore, the Bible says. Too many to count the army of the Midianites. 32,000 is not that many when you're outnumbered by that many people. Nevertheless, God said to Gideon, you got too many. 32,000 is too many. Whittle the number down until he got down to 300 faithful few. And God said, now you got the group down to a size that I can work with. And when the Israelites defeated the Midianites, nobody thought, wow, it was because of the power of the Israeli army. Everybody realized this is the doing of God. God took 12 disciples and turned the world upside down. God took one Savior to save it. So God is not into numbers. He's not into people being able to lay claim to the idea that it was the size of the army or it was the multitude of people or it was the many skills. We are few. The remnant is a minority. But the strength of the remnant is not in numbers. The strength of the remnant is in the Lord. The strength of the remnant is in the Lord. In Psalm 20, verse 7, David said, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Even in his day, people were putting trust in other sources besides the Lord. And it might feel sometimes like we're outnumbered, because we are. But we're only outnumbered in terms of the population, not in terms of what God can do through a faithful few. We've got a massive world to reach for Jesus. Don't stop sharing about Christ just because some refuse to listen or believe. The work of the Holy Spirit is conversion. Your work is conversation. That's worth tweeting right there. I'm just telling you. (laughs) Conversion is the work of the Holy Spirit. Conversation is your work. So you tell them about Jesus and you trust the results to the Lord. But don't stop sharing about Jesus just because some people refuse to listen or some people refuse to believe. And don't stop standing for what is right just because you're in the minority. Be the remnant that reflects Christ and his righteousness in the world. Number two, God is always with the remnant. Look here in the same chapter at verse 11. God wants to encourage the remnant with these words. In verse 11, he says, Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, whom you now fear. Do not be afraid of him, declares the Lord, for I am with you and will save you and deliver you from his hands. And notice there just a number of references to fear. Don't be afraid of the king of Babylon, whom you fear. Do not be afraid of him, declares the Lord. The people of Judah, the remnant, was afraid of the king of Babylon because he was a force of opposition. And he was a powerful one. At that, 
And the Lord wanted to assuage their fears and to calm their hearts with a reminder that he's more powerful than any earthly king and that he will never leave them nor forsake them. That God is with us. And why is this important to remember? Because don't be surprised in the course of representing Christ in your world that some people will not like you and some people will oppose you and some people will get downright hateful. Don't be surprised. And if you say to yourself, well, I'm not really facing any opposition in my faith, then maybe it could be that you're too far up in the stands and you're not down in the game. Because in case you haven't noticed, there's increasing hostility in our world towards Christians and Christianity and biblical values. And it will only get worse. Because Jesus said in Matthew 10:22, all men will hate you because of me. All men will hate you because of me. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Now, that's not a verse that I put on my refrigerator with a magnet, right? Okay. That's not one of those verses. I, oh, great. Everybody's going to hate me for the sake of Christ. But we need to be aware of it. We need to be aware of it. For a long time, a Christian in America could blend into society without much distinction. That was when societal values and laws and social norms were more parallel to Christian values. No longer. No longer. The lines are not parallel. They have veered in opposite directions. I've never lived in such a time as the present with such cultural and sexual and mental confusion. A time when people not only expect you to embrace, but to celebrate what is abnormal and unhealthy and a complete denial of reality. And when you don't, when you don't embrace and celebrate those things, they will hate you. The opposition will rise up. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 11 to 12, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This shouldn't surprise us, friends. This is the new norm. But just remember that when people may say things about you, the haters may hate, and the people who oppose may oppose, just remember that your brothers and sisters around the world are enduring a whole lot worse. A whole lot worse. You look at some things happening as a result of Islamic terrorism in our world. You remember just a few years ago when some Islamic terrorists lined up 21 Egyptian Coptic Christians on the beach of Libya and beheaded them and then posted on social media? That's the kind of persecution that we need to remember is going on around the world. So the next time somebody says something or tweets something or posts on social media about how they don't like you, big deal, right? Big deal. Remember how Islamic terrorists blew up a Christian church in Pakistan on Easter Sunday a while ago, killing Pakistani Christians? That's persecution. So when somebody doesn't like you at the office, they post something about you on social media, big deal. Jesus said, blessed are you when people say all kinds of evil against you and insult you and persecute you. Great is your reward in heaven. This is, frankly, something we should expect going forward. And the truth of the matter is that persecution of Christians has existed ever since they nailed Jesus to a cross. I mean, Tertullian, the second century historian, once remarked, the blood of the martyrs 
is the seed of the church. And so, what God says here to the remnant in Judah, don't be afraid of the big bully, King Babylon, for I am with you. We have to remember, God is always with us. And Paul would say in Romans 8.31, if God be for us, who can be against us? And David would say in Psalm 28.7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him and I am helped. Points number three and four, the last two points I want to share from two other examples in Scripture. And point number three is going to be from the life of Noah. Because when you talk about a remnant in a day, Noah and his family were certainly a part of a remnant. And the Bible describes the condition of Noah's day like this. It was only evil all the time. And in Genesis 6 verse 5, it says, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. But four verses later, about Noah himself, the Bible says that Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. It is possible to live a righteous life in an unrighteous world. It is possible to live a blameless life in a blame-filled world. It is possible to walk with God when others may not. Noah did, and so can we. And our day is not too far removed from the day of Noah. In fact, Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 would say that the conditions of the culture just prior to the second coming of Christ will be very similar to the conditions of the culture in Noah's day just prior to the flood. There's an extreme similarity And I think we're living in this day. In fact, if not for the fact that God promised he would never again destroy the world with a flood, we are ripe for one. We are ripe for one. But God in his mercy said, I'll never destroy the world again by a cataclysmic flood. And so he puts a rainbow in the sky as a reminder of his faithfulness in that regard. And may I just say, the homosexual community may hijack the symbol of the rainbow for their cause. But the symbol of the rainbow was God saying, never again will I judge the world by way of a worldwide flood. But it doesn't mean that never again will I judge the world. Judgment is still coming. And we must be the faithful part of the remnant to make him known and to shine in the universe. Genesis 7.1, the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. It's point number three. It's possible for the remnant to remain righteous in this generation. I don't care how young you are or how old you are. You can still live for the Lord, despite what anyone else might say or how they might decide to live. You can still decide, as Noah did, to be a righteous man or a righteous woman in the world today, to reflect Christ and His righteousness in our world. Finally, point number four from the story of Elijah, who was a prophet of God sent to the people of Israel. His story is recorded in the book of 1 Kings. Elijah was sent as a prophet during the reign of King Ahab of Israel, who was a wicked king, along with his wife Jezebel, who was a wicked queen. The combination was double trouble. The Bible says that under the reign of King Ahab, idolatry in Israel had increased to an all-high time, and the worship of God was basically non-existent. So God sent the prophet Elijah, a remnant in his day, to address these false gods and these false prophets. And so Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal, that was the god of the Canaanites, and the prophets of Ashtoreth, the female counterpart deity of the god of the Canaanites, 
to a showdown on Mount Carmel in Israel. It's one of the first places we go on our tour of Israel. And there on Mount Carmel, we have a Bible study when we go there. And in that location of Mount Carmel, Elijah challenges these false prophets. Let's see if your God will show up. And then after you give a good try at it, I'm going to see if my God will show up. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Bible. And so this little showdown ensues. And the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah are chanting for their gods to show up on Mount Carmel and display their power. And they start, the Bible says, they start cutting themselves. It was just kind of an idolatrous custom, the cutting themselves and letting the blood flow. And they're crying out to these false gods. And Elijah's standing on the sideline. It's the first example in the Bible of trash talk. Elijah just starts trash talking. He's like, where's your God? How come your gods haven't shown up, guys? You know, what's the problem? Maybe your God's on vacation. Who knows? Maybe your God's not making this up. He says, maybe your God's sitting on the pot. He says that. He says, maybe your God's going to the bathroom. He's like, you know, he's tied up. He can't really come. He's trash talking them the whole time. And they're like, ah, and they're cutting themselves even more. Nothing happens. And so then Elijah's like, okay, it's my turn. And I'm going to summarize the events. Basically, when it's his turn and he prays, God shows up in a powerful way in a powerful way. And all these false prophets fall down on their face and they're undone because they know they've been outdone by the true and living God. And those false prophets are hauled down in the valley and they're killed. They're killed that day. And there's a great revival in Israel. But something happens with Elijah. What happens with Elijah is he literally comes down off the mountain And some of you can understand this. If you've ever felt like you've been used by the Lord in some significant way, something happens sometimes where it's the enemy or whatever comes in. And then on the heels of some great thing where God used you, you can start to feel depressed. That's what happens with Elijah. He just spirals and depression sets in and he's just all sullen and he prays to God. It's in 1 Kings chapter 19 and he says it twice in verse 10 and in verse 14. Elijah says, God, you know, I just feel depressed. He goes, I'm the only one in Israel. I'm the only righteous guy in all of Israel. And it's depressing. I'm paraphrasing. God says, uh, no, you're not the only one, Elijah. Thank you very much for what you've done, but you're not the only one. He says, I have actually reserved 7,000 in Israel, you don't even know, who have never bowed their knee to Baal. You're not the only one, but you are one. I got 7,000 others. And I just want to make sure in summarizing all these things that when we speak about the church being a remnant in the world, I want to make sure everybody understands that I mean the church at large, capital C. I don't, for a minute think or want you to think that we're the only church, we're the only ones who are exclusively living for the Lord as a remnant in this world today. That's the kind of thing when churches say that we're the only ones. That's called a cult. (laughs) And so I want to make this point as we close from the example of the story of Elijah, that God has preserved a righteous remnant around the world. We're only a small part of the larger body of Christ to reflect his righteousness on the earth. God is doing some amazing things through His church around the world. And I'm excited that we get to be a small part of it. I thank God for you. And I pray that we together will remain true to the Lord and to His Word. And that we will share Jesus, reflect Jesus, and represent Jesus as part of of the remnant of God's church in the world today. Amen. Amen.
That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this message from Jeremiah again, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Under the teachings option, you can download our mobile app to stay connected with God's Word everywhere you go. You will also find our companion resources. These digital study guides are meant to give you even more insight into some of the studies Pastor Gary has done and are available free of charge to you. While you're there, take a minute to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify so you never miss another message. You'll also find links with more information about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you in person. Come visit us. You'll find service times and more information about Cornerstone Chapel at cornerstoneconnection.cc. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. So put a marker in your Bible where we left off today in Jeremiah and make plans to join Pastor Gary next time. Thanks again for listening to today's teaching right here on Cornerstone Connection. J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.